Acts chapter 8, we're going through the Bible, and um, you know, I, I think that right now in the world, people are wanting to know what's going on, and I don't care whether you're a, a, a person that doesn't know Christ, or you do, everybody knows something is ready to change. Elon Musk, all of them, no matter who you read about, knows there's a paradigm shift that's about to take place. I believe personally that we are on the verge of the biggest change in the history of the world. I believe that the rapture of the church is very, very soon. It is interesting in the Bible that Paul says that in a moment, twinkling of an eye, we're all going to be changed. We're going to be caught up to be with him in the air, and there will ever be. Now, something we have to realize is God supernaturally moving people around is not a new concept in the Bible. We remember back in the book of Genesis, it talks about Enoch walked with God and was taken. Now, I look at that as a very important thing because in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, supernaturally, God moved people around. And Enoch was taken right before the flood. He walked with God and he was taken. I believe that Jesus will come and take his church home. The Bible says that his bride is not appointed to his wrath. And we know during this time called the tribulation period, you may or may not have heard about it. It's a seven year period of time in which the Bible says God will deal with his nation of Israel that last final 70th week, that seventh last week in the book of Daniel. God will fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel and deal with a God rejecting world. The more you look today, the more right is wrong, the more wrong is right. And as we look at a world that's completely debased, and what has happened is relativism has replaced absolute. True is true if it's true to you. Bad isn't all that bad. Good isn't all that good. It's how you look at it. That's relativism. There is no truth that actually can be known, they will tell you. The fact of the matter is, there is truth. And Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to get to heaven, and Jesus said he was it. Jesus in John fourteen six categorically said, all the religions of the world are bogus. Wow! That's a pretty bold statement. No one comes to the Father except by me. People today, in the idea of relativism, there's a lot of paths to God. Uh, If you're a good person, you do all these things right, God will smile on you and let you into the pearly gates. The truth of the matter is, when we realize we don't go to heaven because we're good, we go to heaven because he's good. And the Bible talks about being clothed in his righteousness. Like you'd put on a winter coat, and probably the next few months, we will be doing here. We wrap ourselves in his righteousness. When somebody says, if you died today, would you go to heaven? We don't say, 
Well, I've done the best I can. If you say that, you need to be born again. You are not approaching God the Father in Jesus' righteousness. You're approaching God the Father in your own righteousness. Well, I've done the best I can. Well, how do you know when you get there that you did good enough? It's too late to do anything about it then. But wouldn't it be neat if you could go to heaven because somebody else was good and got you in? I remember there was a friend named Charles McFeeder, Hope for Hollywood. And he would go and he would do amazing things he, to, to share the gospel with people. And one of the things that he would do is he would share about Jesus in the most unusual places that he could. And one of the things that he would do is he would go in like to Whiskey A Go-Go on Hollywood Boulevard. And he would go in there, and when this rock band would set down, he would walk up and get on stage, grab the microphone and say, Hey, is everybody having a good time here tonight? The band thought he was part of the management. The management thought he was part of the band, and they just let him roll. Everybody having a good time here tonight? Yeah, I can't hear you. And he would start playing with the crowd. He goes, now let me ask you something. How many people here like to party? Oh, you know, whiskey, go-go. Ah, they all went crazy. And so he said, well, listen, I happen to know where there's a party getting ready to start. And I want you to know I can get you into it. What do you think of that? Yeah, I can't hear you. And just play with them, build it up. And then what he he would do is he goes, how many people know that you can have a person come into your party and ruin it? They're called a party pooper. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, he goes, he goes, I happen to know the person to get you in. So there's no party poopers in there. And so anyway, he would play with them. And then uh, everybody's going wild. The band is happy because this guy's wrapping the crowd up. The management's happy. He, they're wrapping the people up. Uh, and then he, he go, well, the person you need to know to get into the party is Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, he'll set you free. If you want to know more about Jesus, I'll be out on the sidewalk. You put the mic back in and book out the door. And he said, believe it or not, people would come out and say, I want to know more how to get into this party that's never going to end. He said, the party's in heaven and you're invited to come. I believe that really we go to heaven and we all need to understand this. We go to heaven because Jesus is good, not because we're good. Now, that's not an excuse not to try to please our Lord. But the point is, is that we're never good enough to get to heaven. This is why the law, the Ten Commandments, were there, as the book of Hebrews says, to show us our need for a Savior. We don't approach God in our goodness. We approach God in what Jesus has done for us. The gospel message, the message of the church, isn't what you should be doing. It's what God has done for you. Big difference. Because again, how do you know you've done enough? This is what religion never offers anyone, is the assurance of salvation. Only Jesus does that. Remember, religion is man's attempt to reach God. Jesus Christ is God reaching man. Big difference as we look at this. In the book of Acts chapter 8, we find that the Holy Spirit was bringing people 
into an understanding of God's love. No longer rules and regulation, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. But now it's whosoever will may come. And the Bible says that when we become born again, God writes his law on our hearts. Now, there's two relationships you can have with God. And as a matter of fact, honestly, with anyone, whether it be your spouse, whether it be God, you can either have a legal relationship with them or you can have a love relationship with them. And oftentimes these two parallel each other very closely that upon a casual observation, you would think they're the same thing. Case in point. I use this illustration often, but you know, you have, um, have, uh, two birthdays coming up. Two men are in the, uh, the store looking for, uh, their wife a card. One is there getting his wife a birthday card because he doesn't want to eat burnt dinners for the next year. The other one is there because he truly loves his wife and he wants to express to her what he thinks of her by actually looking and reading what the words are in the card. Now, somebody walking down the aisle would look down and see two men buying cards and say, oh, oh, don't they love their wives? One is there for a self reason. The other one is there for a give reason. This is where the problems come in today versus a love relationship with God and rules and regulations. You can have a legal relationship with God. God, look, I kept the Sabbath. I didn't eat pork. I did this. I did that. But the Bible says if you err in one area, you err in all of it. So what we find here then is that Jesus, not under the rules of the law, but when we become born again, that phrase born again simply means we have a whole new nature that has been placed in us. Not something that we manufactured, everyone. Something that God put in us supernaturally. And he writes his laws on our heart. And what are Jesus's laws? The Bible says, Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will depart from the law till they all be fulfilled. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. In other words, what God required for us to go to heaven Jesus paid it all. We could never do that because the Bible says if you err in one area, you've erred in all of it. Well, that creates a problem because we know by nature we're sinners. Now remember this. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. Sinning proves what you are. But I got good news. The good news is you no longer have to be in sin. You can now be in God's forgiveness. And instead of having a legal relationship, saying, God, look what I did, look what I didn't do. Now, the Bible says we crawl up in his lap and say, Daddy. Today, I pray that you understand you have a God in heaven, first of all, that loves you dearly. He doesn't have favorites. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. He doesn't want you to approach him and look at what I did, look what I didn't do, but rather as your father. It's interesting when Jesus was talked to by his disciples, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. He did not say, pray this prayer until your your tears come out of your head and your ears fall off. 
He said, when you pray, pray in this blueprint. Pray in this outline. Our Father which art in heaven. Now again, I stress this so much because so many people don't understand you have a daddy in heaven who loves you. Now you may have a hard time relating with an earthly father because maybe you had a very bad one. Maybe you had an earthly father that would come home and throw you against walls and come home drunk and and, uh, maybe you never ever knew him. Maybe he just ran off when you were born. But you've got a father in heaven who loves you. And if you're a father, you need an example in which you can portray to your family and to your children. And where do we learn that heavenly fatherly role? We learn it from God who loved us before we loved him. God offers to you and me in this love relationship what's called unconditional love. Now, what is that? Well, in the world, we have conditional love on a date. I love you if you'll let me. Well, that's not love. That's manipulation. That's a selfish love. But real love that comes from God comes from simply, I love you, period. I like that. In other words, I didn't have to do something fantastic to get God's attention to say, hey, I love you. God just says, I love you, period. In fact, all the way through the Bible, we have that example where, as we remember a couple chapters back in the book of Acts, Stephen is giving his defense for his relationship with God. And the Bible says that before, before Abraham ever did anything, God just called him and said, Abraham, of you, I'm going to make a great nation. We don't find that Abraham did anything wonderful or supernatural or or, uh, was in the middle of some kind of a a civic orientated thing to help better the community. God just singled him out. He says, as a matter of fact, I love you. I may make of you a great nation. Do you know God will say that to anyone in this room, anyone listening on the radio, around the world, on the internet? If we'll just simply say, okay, I'll go. Let's go to the scripture this morning. Chapter 8, we remember that people were getting saved. And we remember that the Samaritans now, and we remember Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world, this is something that God was doing as things grow. And this is what happens when we do this. So we find that Philip was ministering to a group of people. They became born again. And as they were born again, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, had not yet fallen upon them. Now, a lot of churches wrestle with this because they're defending church dogma rather than the word of God. Now, they want to believe they're defending God's word, but they really aren't. They're doing whatever their mucky mucks ahead of them tell them to do. Saying, well, when you are spirit, when you uh, become born again, uh, you you get everything. You get this. The Bible doesn't teach that. Remember, everybody in the upper room, Acts chapter 2, were believers in Christ Jesus, but the power of God had not fallen upon them. This is exactly where we find it right here. That there's a second work generally of the Holy Spirit to empower you 
to do supernatural signs and wonders. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to give you a love for the lost in the world. By nature, even as Christians, we don't really care. I, I think if there was more spirit-filled Christians in the church, there would be more of a desire for evangelism than what we see going on right now. Do you realize people are just living only to die and be judged forever? I, I, I really believe that supernaturally, once you're a Christian and God fills you with his Holy Spirit, first of all, there's a boldness to preach his word. And second of all, a love to reach out to them. You see, Jesus, again, I've shared this many times, but in the Gospels, and Jesus seeing the multitudes had compassion on them. That is not me. That is not generally us. And if you don't believe me, have somebody turn left on Blue Lakes and and go right or something. We can be very angry with people. They're going to hell. Well, good. No, that's not the way we want to be supernaturally, God changes us and gives us, as Jesus did, a love for the lost. That's what I really believe the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is. Not to swing on chandeliers or run up and down the aisles or wave banners or all that kind of stuff. Oftentimes they're attributed to what the Holy Spirit does. But what God really wants to do is give us a love for the lost, give us a boldness to preach to them, and empower us with his gifts to reach out to a lost and dying world. Well, these people were believers, but the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. And so when the disciples came down, Peter and John, verse 15, and when they had come down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet the Holy Spirit had not come upon them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Bang! God supernaturally will do this. Now remember, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is not a reward for being a good Christian. The power of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to be more like Jesus. I need that. I remember I was in a church one time, I was raised in a church that didn't believe in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I remember a minister said, anybody that wants to have the Holy Spirit come in their life, come down here. Well, I thought, well, gosh, I want as much of God as I can get. I went down there. I was never the same person since. I didn't fall on the floor. I didn't shake. I didn't vibrate. I didn't start holy howling or rolling on the floor. It was just something God did. And I went, walked out and I go, this is really weird that... I didn't feel, but you know what? I had an, I had a desire to tell people about the Lord that I didn't have before. Oh, I love God, but the thought of walking up to somebody I didn't know and start talking to him, I, I was a, I was a, I was a nerd. I was a geek. I tape on the glasses, pocket saver. That was me. Uh, and, and I just realized that, man, the Holy Spirit will change your personality and make you more like what God wants you to be. So by the way, if you don't like what you are, and if you don't know if you like what you are, if you're getting loaded on drugs, you're getting, you're getting a buzz on all the time by drinking, you don't like who you are. And that's why you're trying to change yourself. Because you're trying to make yourself modified so you'll feel good. 
Ephesians chapter 5 says, don't be drunk with wine or in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You need a good, healthy dose of an Ephesians 5th. That'll change you. That'll, that'll put God's Spirit into you so that you can do and be what God's called you to. I find that without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I can't do anything in the Bible. Because it's not me. But remember, I don't have to be me anymore because I'm a new person in Christ, and so are you. But if you find yourself wanting to go get loaded, if you find yourself wanting to get stoned to escape from who you are, I would invite you to really consider. And, and you know, we have Alcoholics Anonymous. We have all these different uh, one-step programs, 12-step programs, all these kind of things. I can just simply tell you this, just really quickly. It's when we treat the problem, not the symptom, we're going to start getting somewhere. The problem is, if you're doing those things, you don't like you. And that's the bottom line. Because if you did, you wouldn't be trying to escape from yourself or modify yourself. And by the way, it costs a lot of money. So letting God change us and letting him make us what we are. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It was so pronounced. Notice the next verse. Now, when Simon, who was a sorcerer, saw the things and the laying on of hands, the apostle's hand on the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also that I, who anyone I lay my hands on, might receive the Holy Spirit. He was a magician. He wowed the crowd by his trickery. He goes, I want this secret How you do this, whoever I lay my hands on will do this. Rather than who God wants to do, he wanted to do. Now, again, there's an old saying, if you listen well to people, they'll tell you everything that's wrong with them. That's right. I think, again, corny but true, we have two ears, one mouth. Listen twice as much as we speak. But truth is... If you listen to somebody, they'll tell you everything that's wrong with them. You just be quiet and just let them. You, they don't, you don't have to talk to a person very long to really find out what makes them tick. Now, it says here that Simon, the sorcerer, was trying to buy the trick. How do you do this with the Holy Spirit? I want to know how you're doing this. So whoever I lay my hands on will have this, this power. Notice it says here, And no doubt, probably the word of knowledge uh, that came to Peter saying to him, your money perishes with you. Literally, he was saying you and your money can go to hell. If you read the original, (laughs) he was saying you and your money ain't worth anything in this. Notice he goes on and he says, you and your money perishes with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray that God, perhaps, the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. He's saying, listen, you're, you're far out of line. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound in your iniquity. Iniquity simply means, friends, deep sin. 
Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken will come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And remember, the Samaritans were a place that really Jews didn't talk to anybody. That was what was so unusual when Jesus came to the town and there was... A Samaritan woman by the well. Jesus said, give me a drink of water. And the woman says, hey, look, you're Jew. I'm Samaritan. We don't talk together. There's a real prejudice between us. And besides that, the well is deep. You have nothing to draw with. And so Jesus just begins to talk to the woman and begins to explain to her how she needed Jesus. When Jesus said, where's your husband? And she said, I have no husband. I wonder at that point, uh, she was trying to pick up on Jesus. Where's your husband? I have none. He said, well, that's true. You've had five husbands and the guy you're shacked up with ain't your own. Her jaw fits the floor. She goes, whoa, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she begins to ask some religious stuff. Well, you know, what mountain should we really worship God in? And and Jesus just recognized that it was just religious gobbledygook. And so this woman then realizes who Jesus is. The Bible says she runs into town and says, come see a man that has, knows everything I've ever done. Now, what's really freaky for some of you guys that like to read the Bible, it says the men came running. I think about that for a minute. She's been married five times. She's a floozy. And she says, come see a man that's saying everything I've ever done. They're going, oh, no. Let's go. Run quick. Let's go hear what he's got to say. We're all in trouble. But the truth of the matter is, the woman was changed from that time on in her life. Now, the point is this. Samaritans were outcasts. They were half-breeds. When the Assyrian Empire came in, they would take a group of people out, like the Jews, and move in a bunch of foreigners, and the few people that were left behind intermingled, married, and to the true Jew, these were half-breeds, don't have anything to do with them. But yet, the apostles reached out to them and began to minister to them. Now, Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now, Philip, remember, he was just a guy waiting tables. When the women were complaining that they didn't get their daily administrations and all these different things. And so the apostles appointed seven guys filled with the Holy Spirit to help take care of these women. Now we see God elevating these guys that started off as table waiters, now being used in a dynamic way, just as much as God was using the apostles. And in fact, Stephen was so dynamic, his testimony was so powerful, they killed him back in the previous chapter. So as we look at this, we find that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, one of the table waiters, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, yeah, remember something. Philip's got a hot ministry going. People are getting saved. They just got filled with the Spirit. He's got this thing really going on. It's really good. And then God speaks to him and says, Go down to the desert. If that would happen to most of us, 
we would probably go, why? I'm doing good here, God. I finally got where you can actually do something here, and then you tell me to leave. Listen, this is one of the great things about God. He keeps your life from ever getting rutted. He just does. Now again, in Christ, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But this makes life exciting, doesn't it? See, the thing is, when you're not born again, it's doldrum. Same old thing, just a different day. When you're a Christian, God does something new in your life every day. And that's something that I look for in God to do. In other words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray that in my heart, God, I have the things I have to do. Feel free to interrupt my schedule. Well, God does. And here Philip had this thriving ministry. An angel speaks to him and says, go down to the desert. Now, I have found a couple of things. First thing, when God tells you to do something, just do it. But but then what? I, I Years ago, I had a friend. And he would, he was just, what do you want to do tonight? I go, well. I don't know. We, we could go get a pizza. Then what do you want to do? Uh, well, I, we, could, we could maybe go to a movie or something. Then what do you want to do? And I'm, it was like he was trying to plan this whole thing out. And with God, it's not that way. God just says, go do something. And when you get there, you'll get the next plan. Now, why does God do that? I think a couple of reasons. Number one, he loves talking to you. And when God says, go do something, I get there. Now what? That makes me talk to God again. I have found it is so easy to run ahead of God that I can miss what God wants me to do. Also, I'm very forgetful. And so I like the easy step plan. Okay, God, I'm here. Now what? Now notice he says, Verse 27 is a key to being in God's will. God says, go to the desert, go down to Gaza. So he went. He arose and went. If you like to underline things in your Bible, that might be a good thing to underline. When God tells you to do something, get up and go. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. Wow. Now, we don't know if this guy was a person who knew God, but certainly as he left, he had the word of God. And so because he had money, no doubt he was able to purchase the scrolls to be able to read, as we'll find out here, out of the book of Isaiah. And so it says that he had come down to worship. And when he was returning... And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So you can just see a chariot going through the desert, a guy on it. He's sitting there. He's out in the middle of the desert, had this great ministry, but God called me to come down here in this desert. Very clearly it says, this is desert, verse 26. And God says, go join yourself to the chariot. Wow, I've got to overrun and catch a chariot now. Okay. 
If you like the underlying things in your Bible, here's the next thing. So Philip ran to meet him. I like that. He ran. In other words, he didn't walk, hey, if he happens to drive by where I'm standing, I'll talk to him. He ran to meet him. Now, I'll tell you, he had to run pretty fast. You know, you wonder if these guys in the Old Testament, you know, went to Gold's Gym and some of these other places to work out. I don't know, but he ran and caught up with a chariot. Probably it was one of those kind of things. He ran to meet him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. It was customary in those days when you read to read out loud. And he was reading out loud. And he's out of the book of Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? Philip calls out to this guy and says, you know what you're doing? The Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. Like a lamb silent before his shearer, he opened not his mouth. And in humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? The Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this of himself or another man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture preaching Jesus to him. Now again, remember, Jesus said, search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. So as he's reading this, supernaturally, Philip shows up, and he's reading out loud, I can just see, this is weird. Now again, I've always told you, when you see something out of the ordinary, look for God. Because that is an indication that God is doing something out of the ordinary. Whether it was Jesus meeting at the woman at the well, as we've talked about this before. Even she said, this is weird. How is it that you're talking to me, a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan? She said, this is weird. When you see Noah building an ark for a hundred years, that's out of the ordinary. But then when you see animals getting on the ark two by two, that's really out of the ordinary. And I would say, I probably ought to go check that out. All the way through the Bible, when you see something out of the ordinary, it's God moving. The Ethiopian eunuch reading out in the middle of the desert, out loud, and all of a sudden a guy is running alongside him saying, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I unless somebody tells me? Who's he talking about, himself or somebody else? Then Philip says to him, And by the way, he opened his mouth, and that's probably one of the best ways to communicate. Because a lot of times we say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, you open your mouth, I do believe God will fill it with his words. He opened his mouth and began at this scripture preaching Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said to him, See, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with your whole heart, you may. 
And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He did a fabulous job in presenting who Jesus Christ is. He explained that in Isaiah 53, that which is talked about was speaking of the Messiah. Not of Isaiah himself, not of another prophet, but that it was speaking of Jesus Christ. And so then it says, if you believe with your whole heart, that's what's required in being baptized is a complete faith, hope, and trust in him. Now, the word believe here, we have to remember this, doesn't mean to simply make acknowledgement of, but it means to put all your faith, hope, and trust in. Jesus said, and and we find, um, he said, if you believe that I am he. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. If you believe in him, that doesn't mean, the Bible says that demons believe and tremble. That doesn't mean they're right with God. They acknowledge that there's Jesus, but they're not going to trust him. An agnostic will often type, uh, say, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus is real, but that doesn't mean they're born again. They're ignorant. By the word agnostic means ignorant. I've always, I always have talked to people and it's so funny because as you talk to them, they'll say things like, like, well, are you a Christian? Yeah. Well, are, are you a Christian? No, I'm agnostic. You know, I feel sorry for them because the word agnostic means ignorant. Are you a Christian? No, I'm an ignoramus. So remember what you're dealing with when you deal with that type of mentality. Not to put them down. Because they don't know. Maybe no one's ever told them about who Christ is and that he loves them. So we want to deal with them as you would want somebody to deal with you if you did not know who Jesus Christ was. So he says, if you believe with your whole heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And really we know that it's only by the Spirit of God that we can say that. And he knew that this was what God wanted to do in his life. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, now, this does not speak speak of sprinkling. This speaks of immersion, as Jesus was. Um, I know some churches will sprinkle people. The only time I ever was going to sprinkle anybody, and this is a true story. Um, We had some people in our church, and they asked if I would come and do a Christmas Eve service at a retirement home in Kimberly. And I said, okay, I'll go. So I did, and they wheeled everybody out. Everybody was there. Um, uh, Brent had a guitar, and he played a couple songs. And, and after it was over, I, get, I just stood up with a simple uh, Christmas message. And I said, if anybody here wants to accept Christ as their Savior, you know, if you'll put up your hand, I'll pray for you. Well, uh, this one person put up their hand. And, and me, I'm thinking... Oh, these sweet old people, they just don't realize, you know, they're probably already saved. Well, anyway, after it was over, their family came up to me. They put, Grandma, put up her hand. And I said, yeah, so? And she goes, she ain't saved, and she is now. And I said, oh. 
and she wants to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I went over and I talked to her. And I mean, she was probably like 93 or something. I want to be baptized. And I'm thinking it's December 24th, snowstorm outside, and you want to be baptized. Okay. So anyway, we're in a room and we're talking. This is what she wanted. And so I thought, well, I'll just sprinkle her. You know, put my hand in the water and, you know. Well, God had a different plan. So I had the water, and so I had done praying, and I was standing like this, and I was reaching my hand in the water, and the orderly came in, just burst through the door, because she's probably used to no one else being in the room. The door hit my arm, and I dumped the whole uh, water all over, and she goes, wow! And I go, God, you've got a sense of humor. Well, anyway, interesting, that lady only lived about another three weeks and went to be with the Lord. God's grace was extended to her, I believe, because of the prayers of her family, of a lady that went her whole life not knowing who Jesus was, understood the gospel message because they prayed for her, and she is in heaven today. I look at how God's good and how no day is the same. And if I want my whole life planned out, like oftentimes when I look at Philip, I go, man, God, that was a man of faith because he just left his ministry, went out in the desert. Okay, God, plan B. What's the next thing I do? God says, now, see that chariot? Go join yourself to that. And he sees this man reading the Bible. So he baptizes him. Now notice the next part here. And he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I can't imagine what this Ethiopian eunuch thought. Maybe he thought he was an angel. But God supernaturally, so he has a baptism. They're out in the middle of the desert, just the two. He comes up out of the water, and Philip's gone. Completely gone. A type of rapture, type of rapture, friends. God supernaturally moving people around is not something new. Now, Paul tells us at the last trump, moment twinkling him and I will all be changed. What does he mean by this last trump? Trumpets in the Bible, and I'm just going to read you a few things, were for several reasons. Number one. Beginning a new month. Remembering a memorial day. Uh, to summon a jubilee or a year of rest. To gather God's people together. They were also used to warn people of danger. To rouse the people to repentance, which is Rosh Hashanah, or the Festival of Trumpets, which has begun today in Israel. We're going to talk about that in a second. And to coronate a new king. Now, the Festival of Trumpets was a festival, it was a high holy day in the fall of the year, not in the spring of the year. 
Many people believe that Jesus, in fact, I know he did, fulfilled all the spring festivals. Passover was was when Jesus died on the cross. First fruits, we have Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit came. But then we enter into the fall, the after summer. And the first one is Feast of Trumpets. In Israel, what they do is they do several kind of unusual things. One of the things they'll do is they'll throw rocks into water. And the idea of the rock is this is like your sin, and it goes into the water, and it's gone. And they blow horns during this time in Israel, in Jerusalem. And every time they hear a horn, they will then think about their life. Do I owe anybody anything? Have I wronged anybody? And as I prepare to go into Yom Kippur, the new year, I want to be right as I leave the old year. And so really, Festival of Trumpet is the beginning of the new year, but it doesn't officially get there till about seven days later. And so they'll be doing these things. And then when the first three stars appear... On, and it happens to be this year on Tuesday night in Jerusalem, Israel, when the first three stars appear, they blow the last trumpet, which is the ram's horn. Now, what is amazing to me is Paul identifies something to do with the rapture with the last trumpet. Is it the one in Festival of Trumpets, Yerashana? I don't know. Personally, I hope it is. I pray that all of you are ready. Let's say the Lord was to come. Let's just say the Lord was to come. I think we're about, oh, I don't know, 10, 12 hours difference between uh, Jerusalem and here. Let's say the rapture came on Tuesday morning. Would you go? Are you right with God? Have you asked God to come into your life? Have you asked him to, to change you and make you new? Jesus said that watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. In Revelation, he says, pray that you may be able to escape all these things that are going to come on the earth in the tribulation period. This is one of the reasons why I, this time of year, I always feel a little weightless. Because, you know, it may very well be. I'm not calling dates. The Bible says no one knows for sure. But, you know, Jesus did say you'd know the season. And as I see, as we started off earlier this morning... It seems like everybody, Christian or non-Christian, realizes the world is headed for a paradigm shift. Friends, I pray that you are not left behind if Jesus comes. I pray that you know that you know that your relationship with God is secure. One of the things also we find is that God... The idea of moving people around supernaturally, whether it was Enoch in the Old Testament or Elijah in the Old Testament that was taken up in a whirlwind like a fiery chariot, or whether it's Philip baptizing a guy and then appearing over, notice it says, but Philip was found in Arizotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Arizotus is the, is the newer name for the old Philistine city called Ashdod. The god of Ashdod was the fish god. Now, I know a lot of guys today still like this god, the fish god. And you pray, God, let me catch one. 
but in this particular case, that was their thing because they were over on the seacoast is where they were. And so they wanted to appeal to the fish god so they'd have a good catch and they'd have food and all that. He goes, Philip, from a baptizing a guy in the spirit, divinely used by God, to the middle of the fish god worship. You know, with every day with God, you never know what's coming the next day. You might be having one of those wonderful mountaintop experiences, and the next day you might find yourself in a valley. God did not leave you. God is just preparing you. And remember, fruit is always grown in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. So when you go through things, and remember, every day with Jesus, as the old saying goes, is sweeter than the day before. Because God prepares us. Now, somebody said to me one time, he had a very tough life. And he said, boy, if all the things I've been through is preparing me for what is to come, I'm scared to death of what's going to come. I said, no, no, it's just the opposite. God prepares you so those things don't overwhelm you. Because remember, in the world, people that are not Christians have bad things happen to them. And they don't know where to go except to Jim Beam. God has a place for you to go to him because he loves you. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ into your life, I want to invite you to consider that today. Letting God be God in your life. If you don't like who you are, I got good news for you. You can have a brand new you. That's neat. I didn't have to go to, you know, seven steps helped class at college. I didn't have to go see a psychic. I didn't have to go to a psychiatrist. All I needed to do was just go to God and say, God, make me new inside. And you know what? He does. And this morning, if you need to get right with Jesus, we're going to pray right now, and you can ask Jesus to come into your life. Because he loves you. He cares about you. And he wants what he did in the Bible and these people we read about to happen to you. So letting God be God this morning, if you need to get right with God, you don't want another five or ten years like you just had, you say, Lord, I'll surrender. And then let God be God of your life. You're going to find a whole different reason for living and an eternal reward that does not fade away. Letting God be God. If you need to pray, just repeat after me. Mean it from your heart. And let God change your life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I believe Jesus rose from the dead to give me life every day. And so now, please, fill me. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. Change me on the inside. Write your heart on my heart. And thank you for eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.